0: Hi, it's Marcus Hand, editor of sea Trade Maritime News here. And today is our latest episode of Maritime in Minutes on the sea trade Maritime Podcast. Over the next 15 minutes or so, we'll be taking a look back at the top and most interesting stories that have appeared on SeaTrade Maritime News in the month of August. We'll be taking events week by week, so sit back, relax, and relive August in maritime and shipping, which proved to be surprisingly busy for a month that is usually known as the silly season. We started out August with our correspondent Nick Cerides taking a look at environmental rankings for both shippers and container lines produced by Ship it Zero, a collective of US environmental pressure groups. Ratings were based on the group's three demands, to end port pollution, abandon dirty ships and put Zero at the helm. Interestingly, while conventional wisdom has been that container lines are adopting alternative fuels due to pressure from their customers. It was the shippers who came out worst. Two shippers, Ashley Furniture and Living Spaces, actually scored 0 out of 100. In total, nearly 80% of the shippers surveyed were graded F, while only 40% of the container lines were graded F. Although it must be said, neither grouping enjoyed particularly good results. The rankings achieved a rare event, that of uniting shippers and carriers against the rankings. The Global Shippers Forum described the scorecards as arbitrary with the scales not disclosed, while the World Shipping Council noted carriers were already investing in renewable fuel-capable ships, which it must be said is ahead of the availability of such fuels. Ship at Zero said the aim of such scorecards was to sound the alarm and to urge companies to take bold action. When it comes to taking action on the environment, Maersk has been at the forefront on the container shipping side of the business with its investment in methanol powered tonnage which it aims to fuel with green methanol this commitment comes despite higher costs and at the same time sharply declining earnings as the sector comes back to earth after its unprecedented boom during the pandemic what is particularly worrying in MERS q2 results released during the first week of august though were the demand numbers for container shipping in q2 the demand for containers declined between 4% and 6.5% year-on-year due to weak import growth into North America, Oceania and Far East Asia, MERSC said. For the year as a whole, it forecast that global container volumes would register a contraction in the range of negative 4% to negative 1%, worse than it had previously expected. Somewhat surprisingly though, in such a scenario, Merck marginally upped its full-year ABIC forecast to $3.5 to $5 billion. Moving into week two and the combination of drought, climate change, and a key waterway linking Asia to the east coast of the Americas, and you have a global news story. The ongoing water issues facing the Panama Canal could have featured in any week of this episode. But the need for the Neo-Panamax vessel, Evermax, to unload part of its cargo to transit the waterway pushed concerns to a whole new level. With no quick solutions in sight, the Panama Canal Authority warned it could see up to a $200 million dip in earnings in 2024. Not surprisingly though, there are those out there who see a business opportunity. And one of those is the recently merged Canadian Pacific-Kansas City Rail Company. SeaTrade Maritime News spoke to Corey Heinz, Managing Director of Sales for CBKC, about how it can offer a rail link from the gateway port of lazaro Cárdenas in Mexico into the U.S. Gulf and U.S. Midwest markets directly, as well as a Class 1 rail connections to the northeast and southeast destinations in the country. Transit times into Houston and Dallas from Lazaro are just five to six days respectively, which is extremely good. Corey explains. We're able to offer this solution where a shipper can avoid maybe having their cargo taken off that vessel or restricted in cargo weight and actually load onto a Asia service coming directly into Lazaro, discharging there and railing up into the houston dallas kansas city chicago markets it remains to be seen how successful this alternative will be the panama canal is prioritizing vessels with transit bookings and while the number of vessels waiting to transit the waterway is seeing a slowly rising number the figures from the authorities show that container ships unlike many other vessel types have not been impacted by delays this is because container lines make transit bookings to keep to their fixed schedules. We are keeping an eye on these numbers though, and we will see if the situation changes. The influence of geopolitics on trade and shipping has grown more pronounced in recent years, be it trade wars between the US and China, or the conflict in Ukraine and sanctions against Russia. With this in mind, we have started a new series on the Trade Maritime podcast, with well-known Singapore-based executive, Pune Oza, founder of Maritime NXT, as a guest presenter. The second week of August saw the airing of the first episode of the series, where Punit talked to Khalid Hashim, managing director of dry bulk ship owner, Precious Shipping. Khalid has strong views on geopolitics and how this influences shipping and trade, and perhaps a somewhat unexpected take on where the next big geopolitical influence on trade will come from. And I would say, actually, it's worth listening to the episode just to find this out, as it really surprised me. Anyway, here is what Khalid had to say on the impact of Russian sanctions. If you look at the numbers, and these are numbers touted by the Ukrainians themselves, they say that Russia's trade has actually increased after the war, despite the weaponization of sanctions against them. So when you have geopolitics affecting trade, you've actually drilled down further to see whether there's really been an impact against trade or... That the trade has still flourished because, at the end of the day, the world of trade abhors a vacuum. If you create a vacuum, trade will flow in from somewhere else. To learn more, listen to the full episode on the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast and keep an eye out for the second episode in the series in September. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. Moving into week three and listeners, we are going to be staying somewhat with geopolitics and trade and its influence in shipping. When it comes to shipping and trade, China's build-up as a ship-owning nation has clearly been strategic in terms of controlling its shipping needs, with state-owned giants such as Costco Shipping Group. The steady build-up of the country's shipping fleet across a variety of sectors now has seen China dethrone Greece from a 10-year reign as the world's largest ship-owning nation according to the latest World Fleet Register released by Clarkson's research. As the world's largest cross-trading nation, Greek shipowners overtook Japan in 2013, while China overtook Japan in 2018, according to the Clarkson's analysis. With China's global ship-owning share now lagging behind its share of trade, further growth in its shipping fleet is to be expected. Creating a bit of a stir in the container shipping market in August was the appearance of Seastar Line based out of Dubai. The of services connecting Asia, Middle East and Russia. As was noted by Kali Tashim in the podcast on geopolitics, trade abhors a vacuum and Seastar Line is very much filling up a vacuum left by lines that quit serving Russia due to the invasion of Ukraine and sanctions. It was initially unclear if Seastar Line was offering its own services or involved in slot share arrangements, but analyst Alpha Liner was able to confirm with the company that it chartered 18 vessels from Chinese, Hong Kong, Greek, Turkish, and UAE owners. Heading up Sea Star Line is CEO Zolt Katona, a long time former Maersk executive whose last post was Area Managing Director, Eastern European Area, based in St. Petersburg from 2018 to 2022, according to his LinkedIn profile. Maersk is one of the companies that pulled out of the Russian market. As to who is backing Seastar line, that remains a mystery. (music) Moving into week four, and listeners, we are staying with container shipping and the sale of a 40% stake in South Korea container line HMM, which has attracted its first potential international buyer in the shape of Hapag Lloyd. While other major container lines have surely looked at the opportunity, Lloyd was the first to be publicly linked to making a bid, having appointed Goldman Sachs as advisors. The German line is reported to have joined three local bidders to make it to the second round of bidding. Lloyd has a history of expanding through acquisitions, which in the past has included CP Ships and UASC. One analyst, trade Maritime News, spoke to, commented, HMO is for sale. Why wouldn't they look at it? Posting about the story on my LinkedIn page, a number of comments dwelled on the cultural challenges a combination of Hapag-Lloyd and h H&M and would create, both internally and externally with customers. Whether Seller Korean Development Bank would want to let h HMM fall into foreign hands also remains under question and causing debate and controversy in Korea. A shortlist of bidders is scheduled to be announced in November Check out seatrade maritimecom for more updates on this story in the coming months. Staying in Asia, Singapore ship owner, Pacific Carriers Limited, or PCL, is probably best described as publicity-shy. part of the Quat Group, a sprawling business empire that includes commodities, properties, and hotels, PCL is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. To tie in with this, CEO, Hor Weng Yu, hosted a small lunch gathering for journalists lifting the lid on the activities of the Singapore born and bred ship owner. PCL is best known for dry bulk shipping, a business it has been in for all of its 50 year history. And while a number of years back it was noted for its long-term charters of Japanese-owned tonnage, today has moved to being a more acid-heavy ship owner. Around six years ago, the company ventured into the product tanker space, and today operates a fleet of eight MR-sized tankers which the company sees as a preferred segment. PCL also has two new buildings yet to join its product tanker fleet and could order more in the future. Check out the full story on trade maritimecom and the link to the story will also be in the show notes. Coming to the fifth week of August and at the time of recording, we've only had a couple of days So I'll just pick one story for this week. That would be the announcement of the restructuring of the business of Merse Supply Services. The offshore vessel owner is now privately owned by AP Muller Holdings, having been brought out from public-listed AP Muller Merse, which is focusing to become an integrator for container shipping and logistics. Under its private ownership, Merse Supply Service is moving to focus its business on two areas, offshore wind and offshore service vessels and narrow its geographic focus of business to the Atlantic Basin and the North Sea. As a result of these changes in focus, the company is cutting around 130 jobs, with these layoffs expected to come over the next 18 months. And on that not so cheery note, that is all we have time for on this episode of Maritime Minutes. To find out more about the stories mentioned in this episode, please see the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and we look forward to joining you on the next episode of the SeaTrade Trade Maritime Podcast.